Memorial Day weekend to you. Um, summer Palooza, we, we really feel like over the summer, especially, well, this being Memorial Day weekend, it's kind of the kickoff to the summer season, right? The official kickoff. And so for a lot of you, it is, well, we'll see you in the fall kind of thing, right? It was nice knowing you. We'll see you in September. Um, but actually, if you're here on Memorial Day weekend, that that means you are one of the cabinless people. The, this is the gathering of the homestead cabinless people on this weekend. Um, but what we really want to do through the summer, recognizing that weekends are tougher and trickier with, with camps and people vacationing. So we do summer palooza, and you know it's fun because anything with palooza in the name is super fun. Um, and so just different events throughout the summer. I find it very humorous, though, that the first summer palooza event involves skipping church on Saturday night to go ride your Harleys. So that's how serious we take fun around here. You can skip church on Saturday night. Um, but recognizing the beginning of summer, um, and depending on how, I found this, depending on how cold and dark and arduous the winter was, and the spring this year was really rough, it, it just leads people to just go absolutely ballistic when summer hits. In Minnesota, right? It's like you just can't contain yourself, can't contain the excitement. We recognize that. There's a lot of good things going on. Um, I want to encourage you this summer, whether or not your weekend church attendance um, can happen with all your travel plans, just find a way to stay connected. Find a group. Find a, We've got different small groups. Find a summer palooza event. Just something that you can stay connected. We would love for you to stay connected in a way because being a part of a church is way more than just coming on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. Um, it is connecting with others, having a support system, having a group of people around you that are encouraging one another in their faith. So um, that, I feel, is very appropriate this Memorial Day weekend as we kick off summer. Also, uh, Memorial Day weekend is, is big because we recognize why we celebrate this, this holiday weekend. Memorial Day is there have been a lot of people over the years serving in our armed forces, in our military, and specifically this weekend, we honor those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. So we just want to take a moment and recognize that, and I encourage you as, as church families to just take some time this weekend and pause and reflect on those who have laid down their lives. Um, there is no greater love, as scripture would say, for people who put their lives on the line for the benefit of other people, and we remember that really on a national level this weekend. So if you are here and you have served or are serving in the military, we want to honor you and thank you today, and specifically we recognize those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And finally, this weekend, and here's where I'm going with all of this, this weekend is big, because it is on your, if you look on your calendar and maybe on your, on your phone calendar, you've got like religious holidays or stuff that pops up. It is Pentecost Sunday today, right? And so many of you are like, yes, that's why we're here. Pentecost Sunday. You thought that's why we had the weekend off, right? That's why you have tomorrow off. It is Pentecost Sunday, which is a big deal, um, a significant day in the church world. And so right away, some of you are like, oh, I hope he doesn't talk about being Pentecostal. Because some of you are, are, are here today thinking you're avoiding a Pentecostal church. Or you're, you, ha you have things of, maybe you grew up in a Pentecostal church. And Pentecostal to you means weird or charismatic. Or some of you are smirking. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Pentecostal means all sorts of things. I wanted to talk about this today because it is Pentecost Sunday. What this means, why it is a significant day in the church world. Significant in symbolism, not just the New Testament 
The day of Pentecost didn't start as uh, when we're going to read in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples in the upper room. That was not the start of Pentecost. The Pentecost was something, the Feast of Pentecost or Pentecost, like the day of Pentecost was recognized ever, like all the way through the Old Testament. All sorts of symbolism there and meaning for us today. So I wanted to talk about this a little bit today, what it means and why it's important for us. Okay, we good so far? Amen? Good? Awesome. So Pentecost is a, a festival celebrated in the Old Testament. Now it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, but we'll get there in a moment. It had gone all the way through the Old Testament, this feast or festival of Pentecost. But for the New Testament church, certainly Pentecost signifies the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, talking about Jesus who is about to ascend into heaven. Jesus has died and risen again and about to ascend into heaven. And he's giving the disciples the instructions. And he says, first thing he says is, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be what you need or the thing that you need to accomplish all the things that I have for you. This is a significant moment for the New Testament church. It really launched the New Testament church. Following Jesus' death, the disciples would have thought, well, that's it. That's the end of this movement. And then following his resurrection, they would have thought, well, this is going to be like a national movement. Like Jesus is going to be our king. Well, really, there was no idea of a New Testament church at that point. But when the Holy Spirit came on those first apostles in the upper room, that was the birth of the church that we are a part of today, 2,000 years later. So I want to start there in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then Acts chapter 2, some very important scriptures talking about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is Jesus talking. This is after he, again, as I mentioned, he died and he rose again. And now he's appeared to a number of people over a period of several weeks, uh, about 40, 40 days to 50 days. And, uh, and there's all these people that are gathered around. And he gives them these instructions in Acts 1, verse 8. This is Jesus talking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus really parting instructions, his final words. You're going to be witnesses to me now. You're going to go to the ends of the earth and tell people about Jesus, the risen Savior. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them evidence. So you can see right away at the, at the first verse of Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost arrived, meaning the day of Pentecost was something that was there before that moment. They were there celebrating the day of Pentecost before the Holy Spirit came. So when did this start, this idea of Pentecost or the feast or festival of Pentecost? Now, in the Old Testament, it started, you know, we could read it back in the book of Exodus and in Leviticus, but really, let's talk about this. The Old Testament really revolved, the people of Israel revolved around the Passover, which was one of the big feasts and, and days to remember. Now, the Passover started when Israel was slaves in Egypt. Maybe you know this story, or maybe this is new to you. 
the Israelite nation found themselves in slavery in Egypt, and God called Moses to go and confront Pharaoh, the leader of the, of the Egyptians, and say, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh doesn't want to because it's an entire nation of slaves that are doing all the work for him. So then there's the plagues, and God is showing up with all the plagues, and the final plague is the, the angel of death from God is going to come, and it's going to take out the firstborn of all of Egypt. And this is going to be the thing that eventually gets Pharaoh to realize you can't fight God on this. But what happens is God gives instructions to Moses to tell the Israelites, this angel is going to come through and all this is going to happen and there's going to be a great tragedy in Egypt. But for you, the Israelites, for you to be saved, you need to sacrifice a lamb and put some of the blood on the doorpost of your house. And that night when the angel passes by, it will pass over your house and your house and your family will be saved. This is when Passover began. This was the event found in Exodus. This was the big salvation moment for Israel, which is why they would remember the Passover for, you know, that still to this day, they would remember the Passover, the Jewish people would, because that was the day of salvation where God, in his mercy, spared them because they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and they were allowed to go free. This is really the salvation moment in the Old Testament for Israel, saved from death, saved from bondage, and set free as the people of God. And so since that day until today, the Jewish people every year recognize Passover. They celebrate Passover. Obvious symbolism and significance for the Passover, right? The blood of the lamb saving the people, foreshadowing the Messiah who would come, known as the lamb of God, and he would shed his blood, the blood of the lamb, to bring salvation to all people. So obvious significance there. When Jesus died on the cross, it was during Passover. Not a coincidence. Obvious symbolism there, how God is working in all of these things. So yes, a significant day. So Passover really was kind of the anchor event. But what about Pentecost? Now, back to Exodus. 50 days after the Passover, as the Israelites are wandering in, into the wilderness in freedom, they've been freed from Egypt and slavery, God appears to them on Mount Sinai and calls Moses up to Mount Sinai. And the glory of God comes down. You can read about this in Exodus. The glory of God comes down surrounds the mountain. The, the presence of God is so thick and real that the people can't go there, but only Moses is allowed to go on top of the mountain. And this is when God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, and really all the, we would say, you know, the rule book of how to follow God. All the language needed, all the ways God is instructing them, this is how you are going to be my people. So God appears to them. And one of the requirements when God gave them the law was that not only would they need to remember the Passover every year, but 50 days after the Passover have another feast. And this would be called the Feast of Weeks, where the first fruits of the wheat harvest, so as they were planting crops and, you know, as they're traveling through the wilderness, not so much then, but as they would go and settle in the promised land, they would do this for generations. 50 days after the Passover, they would celebrate the Feast of Weeks, where they would bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest to the tabernacle or the temple as an offering to the Lord. And it also became known as the Feast of Pentecost because the word Pentecost means 50 days. That's really the definition of the word Pentecost, 50. 50 days after the Passover, they celebrate this Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. So 
If you've always thought Pentecostal or Pentecost is a weird word, and it sounds weird now that I've said it about 300 times in this message, right? If you've always thought that that was a weird word, there's nothing weird about it. It, it literally means 50. 50 days after Passover, we celebrate Pentecost. That is what God instituted when he appeared to them on the mountain. This Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, where you bring the first fruits of the harvest and you offer them to God. And this happened 50 days after the Passover. So first of all, a lot of significance here. First of all, this is where we begin to see this idea of first fruits offering to God in the Old Testament. If you were a farmer, if you were a family that was raising crops, you would bring the first fruits of the harvest as a sign of faith, really. If you're a farmer and you have the first of the harvest, it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to take the first and give it to God. But that was God setting it up as a way of saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to give me the first and trust that I'm going to provide blessing over the rest? This is where we get the idea of first fruits giving, of tithing. If you've ever heard someone in church talk about giving or tithing, it's this idea of we give God our first. We give God our best. We give God our first 10% of our resources as a sign of faith, saying, God, I trust you that the other 90% is going to be way more blessed by you than me trying to manage all 100% by myself. In our thinking, back in that day, if you're there and I'm there and we're a farmer and we're raising crops, we, our human tendency would be, let's see how the harvest comes in. Let's see if it's a good year or a bad year. Let's see what we've got. And then let's provide for all of our needs and what's left over at the end, then we'll be generous with. But do you see the difference there? How God instructs them. This first fruits idea is you give God first and you trust that he's going to give the rest, that he is going to bless you with the rest. This is why we encourage people to be generous with what they have. Again, we don't take offerings in this church. We take offerings in this church because your giving is how we do the ministry of this church, all the events and summer palooza things and staff members, and, and we're grateful for your generosity. But we don't talk about giving in the offering on your way out or giving online because we're just trying to coerce you into giving some money. What we're doing is, as a congregation of people, we're inviting you to participate in this godly principle of being generous with what we have first and allowing ourselves to trust that God is going to be faithful with the rest. It is difficult to do, right? Because like a farmer in, in you know, the Old Testament, with our resources, we like to say, well, I've got to make sure I have everything covered for. And then whatever's left, I'll maybe give some to the poor or I'll give some to the church. But God invites you to change your whole philosophy of resources, recognizing he's your provider. He's the one who brings the harvest. He's the one who prospers you in your career. You can be faithful to trust him with the first and that he's going to provide the rest. It's a great exercise of faith. It's why we, why we encourage you to do that. Because the human tendency is to be so selfish, but yet we want to honor God and trust him. This is what God instituted there in the Feast of Weeks. This is why they celebrate it, to trust that God is going to provide, to recognize his faithfulness. But they also celebrate that that was the moment on Mount Sinai when God came down onto the mountain. This was a significant moment, the cloud of glory surrounding Mount Sinai, the presence of God visible like that's where God is. That does not happen to a lot of people in the Old Testament, right? 
If you are another nation and you're worshiping a god, it was an idea of a god, a far-off god, a disinterested god. And yet here's the Israelites, 50 days after being delivered by the Passover out of Egypt, seeing their god come down to them to give instruction, to give wisdom and guidance. This is also why they would celebrate Pentecost for generations, because this was the day that God came to his people. God has given us instructions. In other words, God came down onto the mountain to give us everything we need to know how to follow him. Everything we need to be a follower of God, he came down onto the mountain. He is the God who is close. He is not a far off distant God that we think hopefully he's interested in us. Hopefully he knows what we're going through. He is the God who comes down. He's the God who is with us. So I want, as we go through this message this morning, I want you to kind of remember those points in the back of your mind as we move towards the New Testament now to those passages in the book of Acts. First of all, this idea of a first fruit, celebrating what is yet to come, the idea of the first of the harvest being a, a portion of what we believe God is going to provide down the road. But also this idea that God has come down to us to give us what we need to follow him. So I want you to be thinking about those two things as we read again or as we look again at these passages in the book of Acts. Because when you look at the book of Acts again, the upper room, we read it in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes, the disciples are there, and the Holy Spirit descends. And the sound of a mighty rushing wind and then like what appears to be tongues of fire settling on each person, like a very supernatural manifestation. I love that idea, that significance between Mount Sinai, the glory of God, the presence of God in this big, thick cloud over an entire mountain. Now there's this mighty rushing wind and pillars of fire ascending, uh, descending on all the people in the upper room. What a significant moment. Similar to Mount Sinai, the disciples recognizing once again our God has come down to be with us. This is what we celebrate in Pentecost. God is with us. The presence of God has come down. His glory is around it like a mighty rushing wind. How awesome would it have been to be there that day, right? That anytime you sense the power of God moving, you're just like, wow, this woe is me and I am undone. And look at what God is doing. This is that moment. The upper room, the mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire. So that's the first point I want to make as we talk about Pentecost today is that Pentecost means that God is with us when God is that God is with us. God was with the people in the Old Testament that he would guide them and he would speak to different leaders and he would guide them with a pillar of fire, pillar of fire and a cloud, pillar of cloud, and he would lead them and guide them. And certainly when we think God is with us, we think of Jesus being born in Bethlehem and God sending his son to the earth to, to live on the earth as fully God, fully man. And that is a great sign that we celebrate that God is with us. But the Holy Spirit arriving is just another example of God coming to his people. Think about this. When the disciples were with Jesus and ministering, they had in their mind Jesus is going to be the Messiah, meaning he's going to be the king over our nation. And we're going to throw off Rome and we're going to reestablish our great nation of Israel like they did in the Old Testament. But then Jesus died on a cross. So if you're the disciples, imagine that, like, feeling of defeat. Like, oh, we devoted three years of our life to follow this guy. We thought he was the one. He's not the one because messiahs don't die on crosses. So talk about, like, a mood, mood swing there. But then three days later, he rises from the dead. And, of course, they're, like, on top of the world. Like, yes, 
This is the ultimate sign that he's going to defeat Rome and defeat all our enemies and we're going to be victorious. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you to the ends of the age. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. And all of a sudden, at the beginning of the book of Acts, he ascends into heaven and leaves them. Imagine those thoughts in the disciples in that moment, like, where are you going? This is just getting good. We're getting to the good stuff where we get to rule and reign. You just said you're never going to leave us or forsake us. I kind of like to imagine it like as he's ascending into heaven. Don't worry, I'm never going to leave you. And it's like, you're actually leaving us right now. Imagine that moment between when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit arriving, just like waiting in faith. Like, what are we supposed to do? Is Jesus, I imagine they thought Jesus was going to come back. Like, it's been, it's been a couple of, it's been a week. I know he's coming back, right? He said he would. And obviously we can't do anything without him. But in that moment then, the Holy Spirit arrives. And more than God coming down onto the mountain in Mount Sinai, and more than Jesus appearing as a baby in Bethlehem, this is the presence of God coming down and dwelling not just with them, in them. The Holy Spirit descending on them that all of a sudden the presence of God is dwelling in the people of God. What a moment where you recognize this is the ultimate God is with us moment. This is the ultimate God is with me no matter what moment because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of me. The Holy Spirit has come down. Pentecost is a celebration because it is a sign that God is dwelling with his people in his people, the ultimate fulfillment of the promise to never leave you or never forsake you. If you are wandering through something and you're feeling alone, defeated, discouraged, you do not have to wonder if God is with you. Because when you become a Christ follower, it says the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The presence of God is with you and in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they had to go to the temple to encounter the presence of God. That's the language that the scripture defines us as, a temple that is a carrier of the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit. So you do not need to go to a building to experience the presence of God. You do not need to listen to a Christian leader or a pastor or a priest to encounter the presence of God. You don't need to come to this church to be near God, right? That's not... We don't come into this building to be near God because you are a carrier. As a Christ follower, you're a carrier of the presence of God. You are in the presence of God because it is dwelling in you. Now, hopefully, when you come to church like this, you feel edified. You feel lifted up. You feel encouraged and inspired. That's not because you're coming into a room where God is. That's because you're coming into a room where other carriers of the Holy Spirit are, are gathered. And together we're lifting up, when we sing songs, we're lifting up praises as the people of God. That is edifying because we sense that the Holy Spirit is moving. Not because he's in the room, because the people of the Holy Spirit are in the room. That's a big distinction. So if you're thinking, oh, I got, it's only Wednesday, i got to make it to church on Sunday so I can get filled up with, with God and I can feel good enough to make it through the whole, whole week, you got to Switch your thinking from that to, I have the presence of God in me. I can communicate with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. He has never left me, never forsaken me. I do not need to talk to a Christian leader or go into a Christian building or turn on Christian radio to sense the presence of God, right? It is dwelling in you. 
Second point, Pentecost means that God is global. Now, this is going to be a synopsis of the sermon from last week where we talked about our heart as a movement, as a church, is to go to those who have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, talking about nations of the world that have no access to the gospel. Pentecost means that God is global, and here's what that means. Right after the Holy Spirit comes and people start speaking in other tongues, it says this in the verse following that, in verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they in Jerusalem? Because it was the festival of Pentecost. They were all gathered there because they did that every year, 50 days after the Passover, because it was the festival of Pentecost. That's why people from every known nation were gathered in Jerusalem, every nation under heaven. Verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are these all these who are speaking not Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then it goes on to list all the different nations and people groups that were present there. Because it was the Feast of Pentecost, every nation was there. And all of a sudden, these devout Jews from every nation who were following the Old Testament rules, maybe some of them who knew about Jesus, maybe some of them who had no idea about Jesus, all of a sudden, they hear this noise coming from the upper room loud enough, and maybe the rushing wind sound was loud enough for everyone to hear, but they gather around, and they're listening to these disciples in the upper room speaking in other languages or other tongues, and every nation that's represented is hearing their own language. That's a miraculous thing. That is a moment, first of all, a faith builder for the disciples when they hear that the languages that they're speaking in tongues are the languages of all these other nations. Now, whether or not God, the Holy Spirit, gave them like that other tongue that they were speaking in was like, okay, you get Greek and you get Arabic. And now that they're speaking in all these languages, or it could have been just a heavenly language that they were speaking out in a heavenly tongue that was being interpreted and heard by everybody in their own language. Either way, miraculous and remarkable, right? And what a faith builder in that moment, because if you're a disciple who has never left Judea, that region, in your life, and Jesus gives you this commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, your first thought was, I've never been there, and I don't even know the language. How are we going to do this? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes, and languages from every known nation around the world are being spoken and interpreted. What a faith-building moment that is, right? To realize, wait, we can do this. Because it's not in our own strength. It's in the Holy Spirit, the power of God dwelling in us so that everything we need, similar to God giving them the law on Mount Sinai, everything you need to follow God, he gave to them right there. Now the Holy Spirit has come saying, anything you need to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ around the world, I can give you that. You have all that you need through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can see how that would be a faith builder for the disciples, right? You can see right off the bat that this New Testament church, the focus is out. The focus is every nation. The focus is those who have not heard. This is an important thing. The empowering and the, and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in the upper room was not just so that the people in the upper room could feel spiritual, right? 
wasn't just so that they could look around and be like, look at the language you're speaking. Look at the tongue that you're speaking. And isn't this awesome that we get to experience this together? The focus was on Jesus said every nation needs to hear, and now every nation is gathered, and they are all hearing. The focus is out. The empowering of the Holy Spirit was not just about the people in the room feeling good or spiritual or marveling at their abilities to speak in other tongues. This should not be the focus in anything regarding the Holy Spirit. If you're in an environment where the Holy Spirit is moving and it just seems to be about the people in the room manifesting different things, I believe that's missing the heart of what it's supposed to be. It's out. It is a movement that is a, it's focusing on what God has called us to do. Every nation on earth hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which leads to the third point I want to make about Pentecost. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. That moment, as I just described, speaking in tongues, that's miraculous. That's amazing. But what does it also say happens there? The apostles are also filled with supernatural boldness. Remember when Jesus said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses in all the world? What did it say right away? But you will receive power. You're going to receive boldness. You're going to receive supernatural faith. There is a supernatural element that falls on the disciples in that moment. They're filled with boldness. And Peter recognizing, if you read on in the story, Peter recognizes what's going on. There's all these people who are listening and, and observing what's going on. And Peter, filled with boldness, begins to preach. This is the same Peter who had denied Jesus just a few weeks before, who was in hiding because he was fearing that his life would be taken just like Jesus. But now, because he's encountered a risen Jesus, and now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, He's filled with boldness, and he gets up and he begins to preach boldly, and he preaches to the, uh, the, to the crowd, the multitude that is gathered around the upper room, and he begins to preach, and you can read about this, what I refer to and many refer to as the first sermon in the New Testament church in Acts 2. Peter begins to preach and say, I know you think that we're just being crazy up here, but here's what happened. Jesus died. And Jesus rose, and we are witnesses to that. And he has called us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so because you all, a lot of you are here, and you were the ones who led him to cru be crucified, or a lot of you have never heard about him, but here's what is to, what's important to know is that this Jesus who was crucified is Lord and Christ, that God has raised him from the dead. This was the heart of that first sermon. And then it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. 37 through 39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So all the people who were listening were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, everyone who is called to salvation through Jesus Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says it right there. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, this promise is for you and for future generations and for those who are far off. That's us. Because when Peter was speaking this word, these words, we were far off, about 2,000 years far off, right? But that promise applies. When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for future generations and for those who are still yet to come and for far off. And it says that they were cut to the heart. 
They said, what do we do? Peter said, well, you've got to repent of your sins and be baptized. And it says that 3,000 men, so thousands and thousands of people, were baptized that day, gave their hearts to Jesus. This is the beginning of the church. That's pretty remarkable, right? When you have a church gathering and the Holy Spirit is moving, you see that the Holy Spirit is stirring hearts. And I mean, it'd be cool. 3,000 people, I don't know where we'd put them, but we'd do it, right? We'd just keep, we'd have Monday services and the staff would be loving it, right? Monday night services and Tuesday night services. All that, side note, we want you to invite your friends because we want to see people get saved and we'll put as many services as we need to to have the gathering of the church together. We don't have a huge building, but we, we're fine with, we'll, we'll make it work, right? When the Holy Spirit is moving, 3,000 people saved and baptized that day. But it says they were cut to the heart. That is something that I think the Holy Spirit is moving through Peter in that moment because he preached boldly. He had the Holy Spirit flowing through him. But the Holy Spirit is also moving on the, on the onlookers and the people who are listening, convicting them. Maybe some of them, it was a, a, they knew about Jesus, but something about today, it was like God was speaking right to them. Have you ever been in a church service where maybe there's some, you know, fairly plain-looking fellow on the stage and he's preaching, but there's something happening in your heart where you're like, oh, everything he is speaking, it's like God is speaking right to me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not in magical words that this guy came up with, right? If we're here for that, we're in trouble. The Holy Spirit can move. I know I stand in the strength of the Holy Spirit knowing I'm going to be faithful with the Word of God and preach what God has put on my heart, and I trust the Holy Spirit to make it apply or to take root or cut to the heart of whatever you're going through right so if you're feeling that moment that's the holy spirit i believe that's what the holy spirit was doing there that these people were recognizing there is something about this message there is something about this message i have to give my life to jesus this is what the holy spirit does there is a supernatural element where you're gonna have maybe there's a loved one or a family member that you've been praying for and you've talked about church and talked about jesus for years what you're believing for and what i'm believing for is that there's gonna be a day that it's more than just the words that you're saying, but the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart, cuts them to the heart, and they're just like, I can't deny this anymore. There's something going on in me to bring healing, to bring strength and restoration. This is what the Holy Spirit does. So we stay faithful with what God has asked us to do as carriers of the Holy Spirit, and we believe that the Holy Spirit's going to do all the hard stuff. If you're worried about talking about your faith to some strangers or to some family members, like, well, what... What if they don't listen or what, what, if, what if I don't have all the answers? This is why you have the Holy Spirit because you can walk into that situation fully obedient saying, God, I'm going to be faithful with what you've called me to do, what you've called me to say, and I'm going to trust you to do the hard stuff, right? I'm just simply obedient to what God is calling me to do. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict and encourage and give wisdom and guidance and fill you with boldness and cut them to the heart so that they recognize their blindness, spiritual blindness. Does that make sense? This is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not just about manifestations and feeling spiritual. It is about repent and turn to Jesus. There has been, you know, every once in a while in our culture around the country or around the world, you'll hear about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or a revival, right? Like God is moving in this place. Now, some people are always a little skeptical, like, well, what does that mean? And, well, here's what I know. Here's what I know from the Word of God. Any move of the Holy Spirit or a revival or an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by repentance 
and salvation and people being pointed to Jesus. That's it. If that's not happening, I don't know that that's a move of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not just about manifesting kind of supernatural things. It's about cutting to the heart so that people are repented and turned to Jesus. That's revival when collectively we as a group of people or as individuals or as a nation, we fall on our knees in repentance and say, God, we need you. That is the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a global focus, all nations, accompanied by boldness and supernatural gifts, repentance and a heart for the lost. Man, don't we want that to be moving and flowing in us, right? Don't we want to feel like God is with us and we see things being accomplished for the kingdom of God that we could never do in our own strength? This is why I want to encourage you to not see, not be fearful or apprehensive about anything to do with Pentecostalism or the Holy Spirit. And man, we've done, you know, some churches have done a weird job representing the Holy Spirit, right? But at the heart of it is this, God is with you. God is wanting to fill you with everything you need to accomplish his will, to do supernatural things in you. And for you to feel like no matter where you go, God is with you, close to you, dwelling in you. Finally, I want to wrap up with this. The fourth point is this. Pentecost is the first fruit. And this is something I was studying this week that I found really interesting. Because we know Pentecost is, the symbolism there is they celebrated this for generations from the Old Testament. That the original Feast of Pentecost was this idea, you bring your first fruits of the wheat harvest to God as like a, a, a symbol of like, God, we know that you're going to ultimately provide the rest. It's the first fruit. Well, I'd never caught this before, but really the Holy Spirit coming is the first fruit offering of God to us. God's redemption, this first fruit, like God is saying, it's not all realized yet, but here's the first fruit offering of the restorative, redemptive work that I am doing in the world, right? Because it's not done yet. In other words, the world is not perfect yet. So if we have 100 people in the room, we could all think of, oh, man, this is going on in my life, and I'm worried about this and my career and finances and, and family members, and my kid is struggling with this, and I'm worried about this, and that's just local stuff. And then you think all this tragedy going around the world and our nation that just seems to be mired in spiritual blindness and darkness and wars throughout the world and famine and disease. And, you know, you don't got to think too long to say, yeah, this world is broken. Right? We can all say amen to that. This world is broken. God is at work restoring all things. One day it will be made right where there is no more war or pain or sickness or worry or tears. And in the meantime, he's given us the Holy Spirit as just like this first fruit offering saying, this is just the beginning of the restorative work that I'm doing. And we get to be a part of it, carriers of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a cool thought to think about this idea that Pentecost is the first fruit God is moving throughout the earth, renewing and restoring. And ultimately, it will be fulfilled one day when Jesus returns. But for now, we have a glimpse of this, the Holy Spirit as a sign, a first fruit offering of what is yet to come. The Apostle Paul, he would write this in the book of Romans chapter 8. And I've never made this connection before until I was studying it this week. Romans 8, 22 through 23 talks about this, that we know this world is broken. It says this, Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In other words, all of creation is broken. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. 
That's never, I've never noticed that before. The first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. We are eagerly awaiting for God to make it all right because like all creation, we're groaning through this world at times. It's broken. It's hard. There's heartbreak. It's difficult. We're walking through anxiety and depression and sickness and disease and violence around the world and all sorts of ways that we see this world is broken. But now, now we can say, but we have this first fruit of the Spirit to just encourage us while we walk through this, right? To give us everything we need, to be a sign of the restoration of all things. While we walk through this broken world, we know that God is with us, filling us with power and filling us with his comfort and guidance. Doesn't that sound like a, a great way to live? Right? Doesn't that sound like a great way to live, just recognizing the Holy Spirit's presence in you? So as we close today, I'd love us to do this. Let's just be thinking of these things, as I mentioned. The day of Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and what that means for you. What difference that could make in your, night, in your life as you just kind of open yourself up to the moving and the activity of the Holy Spirit. To get your focus on the lost, to to get your focus on the confidence that you have that God is with you no matter what. To recognize there are supernatural moments where God is going to give you this, this insight or this gifting or to speak in another language or to speak in a heavenly language where it's this, not natural things, but we, we just know it's a, it's a godly thing. It's a supernatural thing. So let's do this as we close. Can we just bow our heads and if you want to do this, sometimes what I do in these moments is I just kind of hold out my hands in like a, a receiving posture of just receiving whatever God has for me. Because really the ultimate thing is we know the promise of the Holy Spirit is there. We know that it's, it's a faithful promise for those who are in Christ Jesus that you will receive the Holy Spirit and his promises for you and for your children and for generations yet to come. That's us. So Maybe just in a moment, just say, God, we receive it. We, we want to be mindful of your presence. We receive everything you have for us. That's you even just pray that right now. God, I want everything you have for me. Fill me up with the Holy Spirit. I want to sense your presence in my life. I want to sense that you are God with us in the closest way possible. I want to begin to see some of these fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit and praying in tongues and, and having words of wisdom and prophecy for people and, and having supernatural boldness in those moments that I can't think of any natural reason why I'd have this boldness, but yet the Holy Spirit, you are filling me with boldness and faith. So just right where you're at, God, fill me up. I want everything you have for me. And help me to be receptive and mindful of the Holy Spirit's presence. On this Pentecost Sunday, 2023, we celebrate that you are the God who fills us up with everything we need to accomplish your mission. And in our moments of discouragement, Lord, we recognize this is just a, a, a first fruits offering, a, a, a taste of what is yet to come, the God who restores all things, who makes all things new. So, Lord, we long for heaven one day. We long for that time where you will make everything right. But in the meantime, we will be faithful servants to obey you and to, to lean into the Holy Spirit to give us everything we need whenever we need it. So, Lord, for those who are struggling today, who could use a, a, you know, a touch of the Holy Spirit to overcome something in their life, a battle they're walking through, I pray that the Holy Spirit, you would come meet every need, that you would, those who are weary, those who are worn down, battling through something, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and say, I, I am with you in this. Lean into me. I pray that you would just reveal that to every heart today. We pray for those who are 
uh, burden for lost family members or loved ones, people who don't know you. I pray that you just fill us up with, with faith today, knowing that you are working on their heart. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that these lost people that we've been praying for, I don't know another way to say it, but Holy Spirit, get them. Get them. Convict them. Open their eyes. Stir their heart today. Lord, they've heard the message so many times, but may today be a day where, Holy Spirit, you you just kind of open their eyes or you cut them to the heart, you, you soften their heart, you, you speak something to them that cannot be denied, that they would turn their lives to you, that we would see a miraculous harvest of souls like we see in the book of Acts. So Holy Spirit, just do this work in each of our hearts, we pray. Pray that you would continue to build our faith and build this church. We trust you and we thank you with everything. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say, amen, amen.